Hello and welcome to MindQuest. I am your host, Mikel Morales, and this is Mission Control Center. Welcome one more week to Mission Control Center, your one-stop shop for IT careers and recruitment advice. This week, we continue our chat with Stefan Yudis, developer relations lead at Contentful, blogger, and front-end expert. Keep listening to learn his secrets to creating content for web developers and why and how he shares what he knows with the developer community. As always, you will find the full interview at mindquest.io slash blog, where you will also get to enjoy our newly published resources for IT pros. But without further ado, let's welcome Stefan back. Hi, Stefan. Welcome back. Let's talk a bit about creating content for web developers, about uh, helping others in the community grow and advance their careers. After building a career as a front-end developer, you're now leading developer relations for Contentful. What does exactly the job involve? So the whole idea of developer relations um, is still a fairly new field. So I think it's around now for, I guess, five, five-ish years, maybe ten-ish. And the whole thing is that what, what we see, what we've seen over the last decade, probably, is that um, a lot of technology companies. Um, and especially developers using these technologies have a lot of power inside of the, the certain companies, right? When you think about a bigger company, some developer usually makes some technology choice. And uh, we at Contentful, we are one of these uh, software providers. So we are headless CMS. Um, you can put it uh, anywhere. And our developer relations team works not directly on the product. Um, so we have completely separated engineering teams that are building the APIs and the product itself. But our team is there to... Um, spread the word um, about Contentful, um, but also going into the com communities and helping developers with whatever they're struggling. And this can be Contentful related, but very often it's also just web development related. And so what we do is we are blogging, we are building example code, and whenever we are talking to uh, Contentful users or customers or friends, um, we are basically kind of the bridge between the product and the communities, the developer communities out there. So when someone has a problem or something, um, I'm usually, or my team is usually the first uh, other people that then go back, hey, hey, look, a lot of people are struggling with that. And we're then feeding all these kind of things back. And build um, this trust inside of the developer communities. So, um, yeah, blogging, speaking, writing, all these kind of things and hanging out in our community Slack um, to kind of connect with the people, having a little bit of fun and uh, building cool stuff. But you also enjoy creating content for web devs in your free time, right? Since this year, so since 2021 and the pandemic and being second home, I'm writing a, a weekly newsletter. So if people are interested in... Uh, random web development stuff um, to read uh, on a Monday morning over their coffee. It's usually something around 10, 10-ish resources, some GitHub repositories, some music. And uh, I'm writing that every Sunday. And if you're, if you're up for some random good stuff that I thought was good over the week, um, people can subscribe there. Where can people find this newsletter? News.stefanjuris.com. So it's my, on my website. Um, it's also in the top navigation, um, but news dot does it. So where do you draw the line between your personal blogging and the one you do as part of your developer relations job? When you work in DevRel, it's a, it's the line is very very blurry. <laughs> where, where does where where does work start and where does work end? So I usually do a lot of things on the side, right? So I do a lot of blogging um, on my own blog. Um, occasionally, I'm 
doing contentful blog too. This is just because um, lately I'm so I'm leading our DevRel team, which means that I'm not operating that much anymore um, for for the contentful um, community, but I'm still around. Um, and the line is very very blurry, right? Because especially when you work in these kind of um, public, semi-public roles, it's it's usually like, oh yeah, Stefan is the contentful guy, and we're now someone writes me a DM on Twitter on Saturday um, because they're struggling. Well, I'm the last person that says, yeah, no, it's weekend. Not going to help you here right now. Um, so it's very hard to tell where, where it starts and ends. Um, but I'm just super into web development and I like all to share all the things that, that I learn and um, that are exciting. Um, and that's just what I do. What piece of advice do you have for other IT pros who would like to create content and share tips to help out others? How did you start creating content for web devs yourself? I made it a habit to to write something down or create a video or um, create some content around things um, that I discovered. And I had this moment. So I'm also reading a lot. I'm subscribed to probably a gazillion newsletters. So when I when I on a Sunday morning read something and I have this thought, huh, I didn't know that. Usually I put it somewhere. And that could be on my own website. It could be on Twitter. But just making this habit of constantly documenting what you're learning um, helps with this this whole idea that you don't know anything web development because this fear is just so big. But I'm now doing this for three or four years. And um, what, what what that comes down to is that I have, I don't know, 200, 300, 400 learnings on my own website. And this is primarily for me. So this is how it started because I wanted to come back a month later or six months later and look at it. Man, you got a lot of, lot of, lot smarter over the last six months. But occasionally now or after, uh, after the time it happened that more and more people discovered what I wrote because if it's useful for me, usually I'm not alone. And one advice that I could give for people that maybe want to start uh, content creation or um, blogging or anything like that, it's really just like if it's useful for you, um, you're usually not alone. And there's no, nothing like, oh, beginner content is not useful or it has to be this 2,000-word in-depth article with a lot of scientific engineering knowledge. That's absolutely not the case. We have so many people joining the industry and whenever you learn something or when someone learns something, I think it's a, it's a very good habit to just write it down. And that's just the greatest feeling in the world because occasionally some people just um, write me an email or they send me a tweet ahead. And, and then tell me, hey, Stefan, I just learned this thing. You learned that three months ago and now we're too. And that's just beautiful um, because you can kind of connect two things, which is like helping people, but also documenting your journey. And this is how I approach things now for, I don't know, three, four, five-ish year, years. And um, yeah, it works fairly well for me. And you have even built some tools to help you and others in the learning journey. Tiny Helpers and Random NVN. Can you tell us a bit about them? Tiny Helpers is a very simple website that I just created around Christmas one and a half years ago, I think. There are so many um, self or quick build tools um, that you usually cannot Google. Because, for example, there are a lot of people that build um, tools for accessibility or tools for defining font sizes. Or there, there are hundreds of these. But when you Google them, you will never, ever find them. Because they are not SEO optimized. There is not a lot of words on them. It's just... You find them, and if you don't bookmark them, you will always lose them. Um, so I just built this little resource collection, which is Tiny Helpers, and uh, I put it online because that's uh, that's what I do. I thought, well, if it's useful for you, then it's probably useful for someone else. And the whole thing is open for contributions. So I think I had uh, now 100, over, definitely over 100 contributions. And there are quite a few people that just come on and like, oh, that's useful. I should add that to Tiny Helpers um, because this is where I go to find littles. And... 
uh, when I'm now looking for for a very very specific tool that I've seen online, I'm going there and I'm scratching my own itch. And it's the same thing. If it's useful for me, it's usually useful for someone else. The other project that you mentioned, Random MDN, is a quick and easy Twitter bot that I built, and it kind of um, supports my learning journey. So MDN is the um, developer resource from Mozilla, and it is huge. There is so much knowledge in there. And I just had also just a random thought and was like, hey, would be kind of cool if there would be something that tweets out random MDN pages. So it tweets it six times a day. It just grabs the sitemap from MDN, uh, picks a random page and tweets it out. And I learn new things just because of this bot. Because sometimes I see the street and I'm like, huh, you didn't know that. And very often this then leads to me blogging about it because my own bot taught me something about web development. Thank you, Stefan. And now, this is what happened in technology this week. We've all heard about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But what about the AI Hall of Shame? Since late 2020, the AI Incident Database has been collecting information on AI-related incidents that caused harm or could have easily resulted in someone getting hurt. The crowdsourced repository was created by Sean McGregor, a machine learning engineer at voice processing firm Sentient, who hopes the incidents captured in the database will help developers be more mindful of the dangers of AI systems when building applications. And moving on to other news, the tech world's lack of gender diversity is a huge problem that, as it turns out, is much more acute within the open source community. Back in 2017, a GitHub survey around open source found that 95% of respondents were men, whereas only 3% were women and 1% identified as non-binary. The same study suggested women's low contribution levels are not due to a lack of interest, but rather to the fact that open source communities can be unfriendly to women developers. Nithya Ruff, head of open source at Comcast and chair of the Linux Foundation board, asked on Twitter for examples of open source projects maintained by women. InfoWorld has come through the responses and compiled the list. And finally, if you thought you were late to the crypto party, the antivirus firm Norton has surprised the world by announcing that it will be adding Ethereum mining to its portfolio of services. Although it's unclear at this point what the service will be about, analysts suggest that Norton might be looking into launching a mining pool system that leverages the competing power of the company's large customer base to create a new revenue stream. Of course, all under the pretext of adding layers of security to the whole process. And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening and make sure to follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn at MindQuest Talent and on Twitter and main questing. Thank you for listening, and until next time.